right, good evening. Uh, we're continuing our study of the Baptist Catechism. Uh, specifically, we're using the uh, edition found in the White Catechism booklets that we give away here at the church. If you don't have one, get one and start memorizing it. Uh, it's published by Reformed Baptist Publications, just so you know. Uh, and this evening, we're in question number seven. And this question has to do with the two great subjects that the Bible teaches. Here's a question for you. What is the Bible about? What's the Bible about? If someone asked you that question, right, you're at work, you're at the store, wherever you're at, what's the Bible about? How do you answer that? Most of us would say the Bible is about Jesus, right? And that's certainly not, that's not a bad answer, <laughs> right? Uh, that, that's, that's not a bad answer. It's certainly not a wrong answer. Uh, the whole book, in some way or another, is about Jesus. Uh, but nevertheless, the Bible does not only teach the gospel, does it? It doesn't just tell us how to be saved. It doesn't only teach us what Jesus did in order to save sinners. Right? Now, I, I'm, I'm certainly not trying to minimize the work of Christ. Far be it for me to do such a blasphemous thing. And I'm not trying to minimize the proclamation of the gospel. I'm simply saying that the Bible teaches more than that. So while it's not wrong to say that the Bible is about Jesus, maybe there's a better answer to give. Maybe there's a, a more thorough answer that we can give. Okay, and, and know this, just real quick. Uh, this is super useful for us to consider because we need to be able to give a short, quick, and accurate answer to that question. What is the Bible about? Why do I say that? Well, if you haven't looked around very recently, we live in a culture that is growing more and more biblically illiterate, right? Uh, if you ask your average person, what's the Bible about? A lot of them will say it has something to do with Jesus. Uh, others will tell you, and this is somewhat common actually, uh, it's a big rule book, right? That, that, that's fair. Uh, people say that a lot. Um, it's not unheard of to meet someone who has literally never held a Bible. It's uncommon around here, but it's not unheard of. I know one man uh, at a church I went to growing up, um, the first time he had ever been to a church service, I think he was over the age of 18. He lived in Scioto County, he lived on the west side his entire life and had never been inside a church building until he was 18 years old. This stuff's not super common in Scioto County, but it's not unheard of. Um, and again, that's not even to mention people from major cities and incredibly irreligious states in our country, right? People don't know the Bible. Um, so what I'm getting at is that we need to be able to answer this question. What is the Bible about? What does the Bible teach? And wouldn't you know it, that's exactly what our catechism question is about this evening. Uh, our question and answer is a summary of what the Bible teaches, and I believe that we will benefit by meditating on the truth in this question. May God bless us as we do so. So with that said, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to begin to consider question number seven of the Baptist Catechism. So let's pray. Holy God, we thank you for a blessed Sabbath day. And now as we near the end of it, we ask that you would bless us again by speaking to us through your word. Instruct us and show us the value of the Bible. Show us our need for the Bible. And teach us to cherish every word that proceeds from your holy mouth. By your spirit, sanctify us by your word so that we might glorify you. 
We ask for these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. All right, now our question for this evening, I ask that you would read the answer with me. I tell you guys every time I do this, this is how I catechize my daughter. It's how I'm going to catechize you. So I'm going to do the question, then we're all going to do the answer together. Question, what do the Holy Scriptures principally teach? Answer, the Holy Scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. Good, let's do it again. Question, what do the Holy Scriptures principally teach? Answer, the Holy Scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. Excellent. Right, this is, I feel like I'm in a classroom. This is excellent. Uh, let's begin by considering the question so we understand what exactly is being asked. And also so we can understand uh, what presuppositions lie underneath the question. I think that's important for us to consider because I think there are some presuppositions under this question. So the question, what do the Holy Scriptures principally teach? All right, that's a smart way to phrase this question. What do the Holy Scriptures principally teach? If the question was simply, what do the Holy Scriptures teach, then there wouldn't be enough space in the entire catechism to answer it. Right? You get what I'm saying? What does the Bible teach? You'd have to write books and books and books and books and books. It would have to be bigger than the Bible itself because you'd have to explain everything contained in the Bible. So this is a really smart way to phrase the question. Um, but the question says, principally, what does the Bible principally teach? Principally means the thing that is most important, right? The summary, the sum and substance of a thing, the main thing, to speak more like a Puritan, it's fun sometimes, the chief thing, right? What, is, what does the Bible principally teach? What's the big picture of the Bible? That's the question. What is the Bible about? Above all things, I'm, I'm stressing the point, but hear me, above all things, though the Bible contains many things, many lessons, many truths, what is the big thrust of the Bible? That's what our question is. And I want you to notice a presupposition contained in the question. Something is implied here in the question. What do the Holy Scriptures principally teach? There's a, I think there's something presupposed in that word teach. The Bible teaches. Therefore, it is a book of instruction. And if it's a book that instructs, there is an assumption about those who read it, isn't there? The assumption, the presupposition is this. Those who read the Bible are ignorant and in need of instruction from God. If it's a book that teaches, you need taught. You're ignorant. And remember, ignorant doesn't mean stupid. It does in redneck, but not actually. Uh, it, it means that you lack knowledge and you need taught. And since the Bible teaches, it's assumed that all who read it, that would be us, are in need of instruction. Uh, the things that the Bible teaches cannot be found outside of the Bible. Do you realize this? The things that the Bible teaches in the specifics, the things taught in Scripture cannot be found anywhere else. Now, I want to be clear. There are indeed broad, general, universal truths that God has revealed in nature that all men, whether or not they have the Bible, can and do know. But the specifics of Scripture, the particular things that it teaches about God and our duty to Him, absolutely cannot be known apart from scripture. Therefore, 
if we are to know, if we are to truly know what God wants us to know, we need his word. We need the Bible. Brothers and sisters, this is a humbling thing that we all need to remind ourselves of every day. You should just write, if you're someone who likes to put notes on your mirrors, I know like some women like to do that. I, I, some of you are giggling because some of your wives do that. If you're someone that does that, or maybe you're a man and does it, put this on there. I am ignorant, and I need instructed by God. We need to humble ourselves daily with that thought. Why do you think we encourage you to read your Bible every day? Because you're ignorant. That's why I read my Bible every day, because I'm ignorant, and I need instruction from God. The Scriptures teach that mankind is born ignorant of God. Now, let's be clear. We all intrinsically know that God exists, and and we all naturally know some things about him that he's stamped in our hearts, right? We know that he's the creator, right, that this universe didn't just come out of nowhere, right? You actually have to be taught that. You would never naturally think that this universe just came out of nowhere. We know that the creator, God, made the world. We know that he is the lawgiver. We all know intrinsically that right and wrong are not mere opinion, um, but have been given by a lawgiver who stands above all of his creation and says, thou shalt and thou shalt not. We also know that God is the great judge. If he gave law, surely he's going to judge us for whether or not we kept that law. And we all know that we have sinned against him, that we've broken the lawgiver's law and that we deserve punishment for it. Furthermore, I'll go one, I'll go one further. We all know that we're going to live forever. God's placed eternity, God stamped eternity on our hearts, placed eternity in the heart of man. It's Ecclesiastes. We all know we're going to live forever. So, real quick, these things are known by all men, and the Apostle Paul says so. Let me read you a couple of passages in the book of Romans. These are really important. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven <clears throat> against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their un- unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. What did Paul just say there? Everyone knows God exists, right? Uh, There's a bumper sticker that used to infuriate me when I was a professing atheist. It said, God doesn't believe in atheists. Really ticked me off at the time. True statement, though. Romans 1. They know God exists. They suppress the truth and unrighteousness. This is everyone. Everyone knows he's the creator. Everyone knows that they owe him everything. And everyone is therefore without excuse before him. The apostle goes on to say in Romans chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, For when Gentiles who do not have the law, that's who don't have the Bible, by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. What's Paul saying there? He says, all men know the basics of the law of God. 
even if they don't have a Bible, people know the basics of right and wrong. All men's consciences bear witness to them that they have broken the law of God. So then, all men know that they are guilty before God and will have to render an account someday. All men know these basic things. But we are not born with very specific knowledge of God. Is that very specific? You know God exists. You know he gave law. You know he made you. You know you broke the law. I mean, that's, that's vague. That's not telling you very much about him except that he's a creator and a lawgiver and a judge. That's it. We're not born with very specific knowledge of God, his ways, his will, and how to be made right with him. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 12 says, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Men do not naturally have God. We are naturally without God in this world. We don't know him. Jeremiah chapter 10 verse 25 says, it's a prayer. Pour out your wrath on the nations that know you not and on the peoples that call not on your name. The nations that, the, rather, the nations do not know God. The peoples of the earth do not know him and do not call upon him. And you say, well, but Israel did. Yes, they did. They did know God. Why? Because he instructed them through prophets and gave them scripture. That's why Israel knew God and the rest of the world didn't. Because they had instruction from God. But the nations, that is all men, do not naturally know the Lord. They have to be taught who he is specifically. And being ignorant of who God is, we are therefore ignorant of what God wants from us. If you don't know him, you don't know what he wants. Now again, I'm not denying that we all know the outlines of God's law. I just read that to you in Romans 2. But what I am saying is we do not know exactly and all that he requires of us, whether it be right belief or right actions, right? And, and, and that means that we cannot please him naturally. We don't know how. That's not to mention that we lack the ability apart from special grace, but we don't even know what God wants from us. We don't know what God wants us to believe, and we don't know what God wants us to do apart from Scripture, apart from him telling us. And get this, this is just always good to, to make note of here. Ignorance is no excuse, is it? Ignorance of the law is no excuse. Consider what we read in Jeremiah 10.25. The heathen nations that do not know God are still going to be judged by God for their sins. Consider again Romans 1 and 2. Those who do not have the word of God are still judged. Even if they are ignorant of the scriptures, they're still guilty. So get this, this is a great phrase to remember. It's, it's not a pleasant truth, but it's the truth. God has revealed enough truth in nature that we are all accountable to him and subject to his wrath for our sin. That's how much of himself he has revealed in nature. We are naturally ignorant and in need of instruction, and yet we are still without excuse before a holy God. So here's the summary so far. Right. So you're wondering, why did you get into all that? Here we go. Here's why. Here's the summary. We are ignorant and in desperate need of instruction so that we can know God and know what he wants us to believe and know what he wants us to do. And that means that we need a revelation from God. We need a word from him that will tell us who he is, how we can know him, how we can be reconciled to him, and what duties he expects of us. And praise God, he has provided that revelation for us in the scriptures. Scripture is God's word to ignorant mankind. 
That's actually something maybe you want to commit to memory. Someone says, what's the Bible? It's God's word to ignorant people to instruct them. That's what the Bible is. So recognizing then that we need to be taught by God, the question's more interesting now, isn't it? Now that you see what I've done, I'm trying to lay a foundation. You need to know God because you don't naturally know him. This question now has some teeth to it. It's interesting now. What do the Holy Scriptures principally teach? What's in this revelation? And that brings us now to consider the answer. I'll read it to you again. The Holy Scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. To put it in more modern English, the Bible teaches what you're to believe and how you're supposed to live. What are you to believe? How are you supposed to live? Those are the twin themes of the Bible. There's your answer. The Bible teaches right belief. The Bible teaches right action. It teaches doctrine. It teaches morals. Right? And what you are to believe has to do with faith. Believing rightly about God, his nature, his works, his promises, his threats, and all the rest. And your duty towards God has to do with how you live. Living in light of that right belief about God. This is the sum of Scripture. Now, some Scripture proofs for this I want to review kind of briefly. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13 says this, Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The teaching of God's prophets and apostles are sound words to be followed. You must believe them first in order to follow them. Right? So, and, and, and where is this teaching of the apostles and prophets found? In the Bible. Therefore, the book is a system of sound words that is to be believed. They teach us, the scriptures teach us what we are to believe concerning God. Another text to this point is in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. I had never considered this in, in this context before. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. What's the Apostle John say? Oh, there's a whole lot of things that weren't written down. But what was written down, the scriptures, have been written so that we would believe. And that believing on Christ, we would have eternal life. So then, brothers and sisters, God gave his word so that we would believe it. I know it sounds, it's very elementary. It's what catechism questions are. God gave us the Bible so we would believe it. He gave us his word so we would believe what it teaches about God and what he has done to save his people through Christ so that we might be saved. And just real quick, what is it to believe? To believe is to assent and truly, gladly embrace what is revealed by God. Right? Not just to say it's true, but to embrace it, to stake your life on whatever God has said because God is the one that said it. That's what faith is. I'm trusting everything that he said because it came from him. The scriptures have been given to us that we might treat them like that, believing on them. Now, with regard to scripture teaching us our duty to God, there are a couple of texts to consider. So we've done right belief. Now here's duty. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 through 13 says this. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love 
him to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Clearly, the Bible contains commandments and they are to be obeyed by God's people and really all people. Another text, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, the famous passage from the New Testament. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is favorite text reminds us that the scriptures are a perfect rule for faith and living. They teach us how to live in a manner that pleases God. So again, God gave us his word to instruct us to live in a way that is righteous, that reflects him, that pleases him, and brings him glory in this world. So then, I think our confession's answer, or rather our catechism's answer, has been uh, proven to be true. The Bible is made up of two major themes. Uh, I think I'm stealing this from Gerhardus Voss. It is a message of truth. It's a message about God to be believed, and it is a message of duty to be obeyed. And I want you to catch something, right? I don't, this want, just, I don't want this to just be like a, a dry um, theological thing. I know catechisms can become that. Catch this. I thought this was interesting. There's something theologically significant here. Our catechism puts these things in a certain order, doesn't it? It wasn't by accident. What comes first, faith or duty? Faith. Faith comes first. Right belief comes before right living. The men who penned this catechism put those in order, in that order for a reason. It's to reinforce this. Brothers and sisters, we must first know God. Right belief comes before right living. We must first believe what he has revealed him, about himself and his works. Specifically, we must first believe what he has revealed about redemption and salvation through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We must first believe what he has said about his holiness, his righteousness, his judgment of sinners, and we must also believe what he has said about the perfect life, atoning death, and powerful resurrection of Christ that saves all who will believe on him. And then works flow. Think of the preface to the Ten Commandments. The preface to the Ten Commandments. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then the commandments start, don't they? By the way, thank you for reading those to us each week. I memorized that without trying because we're used to hearing it every week. You see why catechizing is so important? But what happens with the Ten Commandments? Even there, even with earthly national Israel, under the old covenant, God is putting forth this principle. I save first and then you obey. God did not come down to them in their bondage and say, obey me and I'll set you free. That's not what he did. He set them free and then after freeing them and bringing them up out of the land of Egypt, out of their slavery to Pharaoh, he says, now here is your duty toward me. I am your God who has saved you. Same thing for us under the new covenant, except it's better because it's not just salvation from an earthly, temporal nation and physical slavery. We have salvation from sin, salvation from the wrath of God, salvation from our slavery to sin, Satan, and our flesh. And then our works come from it. As Titus 3.8 says, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things. 
so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Those who have believed are to devote themselves to good works. Faith comes first. This is the order of things. This is the covenant of grace. God's grace comes through the word, through the proclamation of the gospel. We believe it. And then and only then our works come. Our works are not part of our salvation. Rather, our salvation is received by faith alone in Christ alone. And then we live according to the duties that come from that faith. Belief, faith is the root and right living is the fruit. It's a great thing to remember. Faith is fruit, right living or rather, faith is the root, right living is the fruit. If we believe rightly about God, His works, and His gospel, then we will live rightly in light of it, having been overwhelmed by His majesty and love toward us. And in fact, this, is, this must be how it works. Why do I say that? What you believe will determine how you live, true? You believe in gravity? Do you walk off the top of buildings? Nope, what you believe really changes how you deal with yourself on top of a building. Right belief starts first. Faith comes first. Then what we do follows. So then I think that we see clearly the Holy Scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. And this leads us to a great question for application. What does God expect me to believe about him. And what does God require of me? What duty does God require of me? For application here, I just want a big picture. Big picture here. There is not enough time in a month's worth of Sundays to go through all the application that could be here. Big picture. What does God want me to believe? What does God want me to do? With regard to faith, let me say this. God expects you to believe that he is who he says he is in the Bible. Whatever his word, whatever his word reveals about his nature, character, attributes, will, plan, and all the rest, you are to unflinchingly and unapologetically believe. The second thing, you are to believe that he alone is God and that there is none beside him. Third, you are to believe in what he has done, namely his works of creation, his ongoing works of providence, and his work of redemption in Christ Jesus. Fourth, you are to believe what he threatens, that he will exact judgment and punishment on those who do not give him his due as God and who do not obey his gospel, who do not submit to Christ. And also for his children, you're to believe his threat that he will discipline his unruly children so that they return to him. The fifth thing, you are to believe his precious promises. His promises of salvation through faith in Christ. His promises that he will bless, sustain, and guide you. His promises that he is your God and that you will dwell with him forever in glory. And that all things in your life are working together for his glory and your good. You are to believe everything. He says about himself, what he will do, and what he is doing. And with regard to the duty God requires of us, I'll say this. Two things, you already know them. 
We are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. To have total allegiance to him in our hearts and lives and submit to him in whatsoever he is pleased to command us in his word. And we are to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. We are to do good to and for others, and in doing so, reflect the good and righteous God of all of creation. And my brothers and sisters, to bring this back to the catechism, where do we learn all of this? The Bible. We learn all of this in the Holy Scriptures. Brothers and sisters, I will beat this drum until I die. Love your Bible. Read your Bible and seek as best as you can, using all the resources available to you, including your elders, seek to understand your Bible. We have a treasure in our hands that teaches us the most important things of life and eternity. We have an infallible record of what we are to believe and how we are to live according to the creator and judge of all mankind. It is a great blessing to have a copy of the Word of God. And may God use this sermon to grant each one of us hearts to cherish His Word and desire to seek God in it diligently so that we might please Him more and more through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Our great God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank you that faith comes before duty and that your grace comes before your law. We thank you that you've given us a sure and steady foundation. You've given us something to believe. You've given, in a changing world, you've given us something that doesn't change. You've given us a sure guide in the darkness as your spirit illumines the text to us. We thank you. And God, I ask that you would help everyone. God, I know that there are people in this church who ask for prayer often, that you would help them to be consistent in their devotion and reading the Bible. God, I pray that you would grant that to everyone here. Help us to be a people of the book who love your word and who see it for what it is. Bless us, God, and put those things in our hearts. Help us to see Christ as we read the book. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.